0: Hi there. How was your trip? Oh, it was uh Where's Edward? Is he all right? Sure he's alright. We just got on like a house fire. Seems to a shine to me. I couldn't say why. That's wonderful. So um
1: could I have him back, please? Carolyn O'Brien. Maybe I could pay.
0: Yes. That will be forty two dollars signature and phone. I don't know if I mentioned before that it so happens I train dogs. Is that right? Your home phone or your business. Bo. Why? What difference does it make? I was just wondering. My specialty is dogs that bite. Specialty. Webster prefers specialties. That must be a dangerous job. Not for me. I can handle anything. Biters, sparkers, dogs that haven't been treated right. Hello, Edward. Even split personality. Split personality? Where your dog is like nice to you but kills all others Come on Edward Not that Edward would bite me of course He just fell in love with me like I think I was telling oh, you yeah, Well
2: I'm glad to hear it
0: But I could train him in no time not to bite other people You think about it and give me a call Muriel, remember? Muriel Pritchett Let me give you my card Oh, well I'll bear that in mind Thank you very much Or just call for no reason, call and talk Talk? Sure, talk about Edward, his problems Talk about anything Pick up the phone and just talk Don't you ever get the urge to do that? Not really.
1: Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike. We begin a new trilogy this month and we start with 1988's The Accidental Tourist, a film that I didn't even know existed, a film that I feel like if I had seen in my youth, I would have forgotten the moment it ended and yet (laughs) it resonated with me so deeply. Good, good.
2: I was like, this is a terrible start to a new month where you're like, hey listener, I discovered
1: something that you will soon forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. When you mentioned it to me, I was like, I don't know where he's going with this. And I'm so happy that you mentioned it. this is it's like nobody's fool all over again. And I I have to do this because I, I'm I'm gonna dig in my own grave here. But Gina Davis isn't someone that I find super attractive. But I knew, it. I knew. No, hold on, I knew where this was
2: going. <laughs> Before you even started your sentence, I'm like, well, I was going to call her ugly?" No, <laughs> this is the part of the show. Take a shot, no. <laughs> tit super fans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things she described about the film is she was reading the Ann Tyler book, "The Accidental Tourist," while on the set of "The Fly." She fell in love with the character of Muriel. And she's like, I need to play this character if it ever becomes a film. And so she contacted her agent. And she said, can we get the rights to this so that I can play Muriel? And not knowing that, well, that's not how things work. The rights to the book had already been optioned and sold before it was ever published. Like a... A stupid woman thinks she can take control of her career in Hollywood. <laughs> was she
2: insane? Especially in the eighties? Are you kidding me? No. Uh, I mean, we jest, but it's, it's only because it was true. It's really depressing.
1: <laughs> and, and and she was, well, she was very depressed because of that. She was like really frustrated that she wanted to play the character. She's like, oh no, not someone else is going to play it. And another fun trilogy and theory trivia fact: Meg Tilly. Was up for the part, and she really wanted to play that character very badly as well. And ultimately, Gina Davis got the part. Now I know
2: why you're calling. Miss Davis. No, I think, your I, fandom for Meg Tilly. Good <laughs> lord. What did kids say? You're you're standing for Meg Tilly. I'm sure no one has ever said that.
1: <laughs> that I, sentence. I have not Thank God. while I am standing for Meg Tilly. I am not calling Gina Davis ugly. <laughs> I think if there's one person, one actress who could have done the character justice that's not Gina Davis, it would be Meg Tilly. And what's funny is that Ann Tyler wanted to visit the set and so uh, gina davis got very flustered she's like oh my gosh when she came on set and the way gina davis describes her she's like wow she is beautiful and i was like well i gotta look aunt tyler up now i would like to see what what gina davis definition of what what people you know it's always fun to see where people are in their adjectives and where because gina davis for me (laughs) I really do go back to like Glenn Close and Helen Mirren, where it's like she's that level of. That's where I appreciate her in terms of her looks, which is not at all. That <laughs> no, school, that's not true. I saying
2: <laughs> <laughs> only only if he's he's forced to by filmmakers <laughs> such as Lawrence Kasdan, then he might. I look up
1: Ann Taylor. I was like, what does she look like? She looks just like Helen Mirren, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was very funny. But Gina Davis, ab- these two characters, Muriel and Macon, are so fully formed. They're so well written, and I have gone through uh, the the book a little bit, not all of it. the The first, like third, this is a beautiful adaptation. Beautiful, and the two characters come through swimmingly. And it's such good work from Gina Davis and from William Hurt. Because when I first started the film, it's hard to like Macon. It just is because I don't know if you're if he's reacting to the loss of his son in like, you remember the movie Rabbit Hole? Boy, that was yeah, I really like that. I did too, but I was like, this is hard to watch. This is Simple Plan all over again. Well, I didn't say that because I watched Simple Plan later. But it, it was a very similar experience. <laughs> but I will now, damn it. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I- it's been a depressing couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can go back and watch <laughs> Rabbit Hole again because that was, like, too real. So for something like this, I'm, I'm looking at Macon and he's lost his son in, in a pretty brutal way. His son was gunned down and he's reacting to it almost as as if there's like an an out of body experience happening for him, and he's will not willing to come to grips with it. He kind of warms you over throughout the course of the film, and then Gina Davis is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where she is just so bubbly, everything from the self confidence of the character to the different outfits to the wonderful socks that she's wearing, especially in that the first scene. Uh, After Macon comes back to pick up his dog. And Casson, I think, purposely focuses on her feet and kind of looks up at her. A really, really brilliant, a brilliant shot. I was just swooning over this woman the entire film. So, uh, and to the point where I was frustrated at the ending. The last act, you've got Macon going back to Sarah. And I'm like, why? And then... You know, we live in this post-Me Too right now movement where female characters are put under the microscope even more so than normal. And I found myself being frustrated with the character. I was like, why? How could she? How dare she go to Europe and try to get him back? Like, she's, she's you know, an independent woman. She can do whatever she wants. But if it was a guy following a woman to, you know, a different country, like in so many countless rom-coms, we don't bat an eye. It's a grand gesture.
2: It's it's the that's yes. the, the climax, right? Like you got to make the move. Uh, yeah. Jeannie Davis is kind of portrayed as kind of kooky, maybe creepy. You know, if you find her unattractive, like my <laughs> no. co-host, you're like, wow, this is a this is a fucking stalker. This is a swim fan or uh, I don't know. well, for you, definitely fatal attraction because <laughs> you're on record just calling Clint Close a handsome woman. Uh, I'm glad you didn't say that about genie Davis. It's weird. Okay, so I'm I'm guessing it's the fact that I'm dealing with a parent here, and I'm blessfully <laughs> childless. <laughs> I mean, I do have a dog when we record that I have to worry about tearing shit up. You you have, uh you know, a person that has their own thoughts and feelings on destroying your property. So you have to navigate those waters in a uh, more subtle, nuanced way than me just saying, hey, <laughs> hey, you over there, stop that <laughs> barking back. I I was really into the the making character. I I find this to be one of the more unappreciated type of roles for an actor where you are reactive to everything without having big reactions. Uh, You have to take in the world and in some way reflect back um, what the world is this character is living in without expressing it with the uh, normal sort of actorly bag of tricks I do, I think maybe more, uh, like as I was watching this, like if they, if they remade it, I was like, boy, Ryan Gosling would kill to play this role. Oh, so, you know, Ryan man. Gosling loves nothing more than a part where he doesn't have to say or express much, which is funny because he's, you know, you go to crazy stupid love and he's such a charming, uh, performer and he can go big and, uh, and, uh, really uses his, his looks in the way that we probably expect. Um, William Hurt a different type of leading man, even going back to their prior collaboration, the big chill, he was kind of the one that was the, that was purposely trying to be the outsider of this very um, incestuous group. Like that's the way he was being brought back into the fold was from a distance from them. But I was impressed that the film shows incredible restraint in the way that this character navigates his trauma and that, while he is dealing with a um, – this predates the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl with Muriel here. Like the, the expectation if you watch a, a Garden State with Natalie Portman or Elizabeth Town with Kristen Dunst is handsome guy, has something bad happen to him, and then this hot woman comes in and does all the talking for him gets him back on the horse yeah and he gets to fuck her too (laughs) it's like that's 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 the twofer there you somehow you fix my problems with the sex and the talking but we never really find out much about you where this film differs is that we actually do get brought into her world and she defends it she defends it as a, a life that has has been filled with choices and she has chosen this. She, yeah, she has her problems or her child has her problems at school and he, he gets to play the observer. And so we get to observe slowly and with uh, some degree of, of grace, this sort of budding romance. And unlike you, I, uh, well, I mean, okay, I'm going to play my part. We have a, a trilogy, you know, a theme coming up that, in, uh, uh, next month that maybe could have a more, a more sexual bent, bent at times, you know, as far as when you have a love triangle of sorts. I was not so mad when Kathleen Turner came back into the picture. Mainly, though, Webb, it's because that she is removed or she removes herself from Macon's life so early on in the film. He comes back from a trip and she says, This is not working. I wanted to see a glimpse of what was that old life. I thought it was an interesting way to do it. That oh, that's a good when point. Because she, she, at that point, has had time to assess the relationship without that, that open wound of the loss of their child. So I wanted to see, okay, so what did their life look like if you remove that tragedy? Were they compatible before or not? And I, I liked it. I don't, I think structurally it's kind of an interesting way to do it as opposed to spending more time with them, like for, say, for a half hour, and then it falls apart. Uh this movie, you know, it it has those sort of staples and tropes of like a kind of love triangle and a man like trying to get his life together sort of a, 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 like an honest midlife crisis here like honest to god something being taken from him. Um but it it kept throwing me curveballs in that way. And I don't know if it's it's the newness of it where both you and I just sort of wage around on it. Um but I really dug it. Like, you know, I I found myself like totally totally engrossed by it and I I was uh, well can i say i was pleasantly surprised since i sort of suggested this one like you know I'm sort of <laughs> patting myself on the back like <laughs> certainly <laughs> of me but yeah i i had a as good of a time as you can with the film where the premise is a couple loses their 12 year old son i guess So in this particular love triangle, when you're coming like the only reason it exists is because of a, a tragedy for two people. How how do you see it? Now you were completely taken with the mural character of Gene Davis, and that's what the film wants, because she's the she's the new beginning. Um how do you feel about Kathleen Turner, who is now my background, dear listeners? Um because you know, I guess you could see her as like, wait, hey, you're ruining our good time. Like we were we were we were seeing William Hurt come together like with Gina Davis and now you come back in to muck it up again. I you know, I myself is a fan of uh, you know, tall blonde women. I was like, hold on there. <laughs> Maybe there's a stone still <laughs> still unturned.
1: <laughs> How did you feel, Webb? I was frustrated because The initial hook to the film was like, oh, this couple lost a child. And it's like, because we didn't spend any time with that couple, the first thing that we see is the wife saying, this isn't working for me. I'm a peace out. And so immediately I feel negatively towards her. And anytime she tries to squirm back into his life, like, oh, can I go back to using the house and he's not there. You're like, yeah, sure. I was like, mm, I don't like how she's working her way into it. So I had nothing but like negative feelings towards her throughout the film. And especially in that last act, because like, because I'm already in love with Muriel and I don't want that last act to occur. And I really like what you said about getting a glimpse into that life before Muriel, because ultimately that's kind of what macon is missing as well because all he's known is the tragedy of the past couple years or a year i think and so he needs to i hate to say this and i feel bad for muriel because like i guess he needs to be sure (laughs) he needs to be sure that's who he needs to be with.
2: around to my way of thinking what's uh... (laughs) the Pick up this stone, uh, and in this case means uh, having sex with Kathleen Turner one more time. Just <laughs> to make sure it's out of our system. I will correct myself here, and I'll say here's where you are right, sir. Um, I called her a tall blonde. She is a blonde woman, but she's only five eight, which is not that tall in my neck of the woods, uh, because my wife is six one, and do you know how tall Gina Davis is? Oh, she's six got feet it. She's- tall. Six yeah. feet tall. Yeah, We have a winner. We have a new champion in the accidental tourist love triangle. I I stand corrected. I'd have to go with Gina Davis. Oh, good God.
1: Oh, i still so have sex with Kathleen
2: Turner one more time. But, well, know. sure. <laughs> it's really cheesy. He's doing
1: it for Muriel. He wants to be sure, damn it. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, one of the things that really struck me was the relationship that Macon – has with Muriel doesn't just stop there. Like she certainly much like the, with the dog, she's helping him. She's helping kind of fix him. And she notices the pain almost immediately. And she immediately decides, I don't want to honestly attractive, but it's that love at first sight type thing. She knows right away that this is somebody that she needs to be with. And they have this wonderful relationship and she finally coaxes uh, those feelings out of him But he does kind of the same thing for Alexander, her son. And I loved seeing that little parallel as well. And that's how we get a glimpse into her life because she becomes a part of his life and he becomes a part of her life. And all of that being wrapped up so well. And that's why that third act – I mean, again, you have to create that final conflict for the film – and it really did affect me. I was very, very concerned because he spent quite a bit of time with Sarah, with Kathleen Turner, and I was like, uh-oh, I don't like where this is going. He's becoming way too comfortable. And seeing Mariel come back and come with him on the flight to, I think it was Paris, I was happy to see her and see, to see that she's not giving up. But at the same time, I'm like, you're too good for him. You're too good for him, Mariel. Ultimately, I am glad how it all turned out, and having spoken to you about it, I feel much better about this last act. Oh, obviously, this is one that I'm going to go back and revisit, but I don't need especially because be... you've
2: you've you've uh, you've put your chips in the middle of the table. You actually purchased a uh, physical copy. You tracked one down, so uh, I, did. I know you're proud of yourself with that. I wanted to ask you: Did you find? Because uh, this was I thought I had that you know, also like okay, so we're going over some of the. Um, you know, the, the way it tackles the, the rom-com tropes. I thought it was a sort of interesting way, especially from Muriel's point of view. She has this uh, line, I think you, you're you expecting when he starts to not meddle, but when he starts to say uh, especially when it comes to her child's education, um, like I don't think this school's good enough for him. And she's like, well you know, just a fact of our life is, you know, we can't afford to send him to some sort of private education. And he's like, well, I, I can so that's what we'll do. And, and he's I feel like he's attempting to be as much of a problem solver as she is with him. Like, she, she she, gets him quickly. She gets, like, the problem with his dog. She understands, like, when he comes to her house and says, look, I have – he has a problem, like, sort of being around her child uh, for obvious reasons because of what he's just gone through. And what does she do? She just welcomes him into her home and basically puts him to bed. And it's this really like sweet gesture of, you know, they're non-sexual as far as like, I don't always, and it's, it's especially rare for what I've called the manic pixie dream girl. She's like, I don't really have anything that I can offer you. I can't say anything with you. You just kind of have to sit with this feeling. This is just something you're going to have to live with. And I, I understand that. And I'm sort of bringing you into my life with all of that baggage. And I'm not saying baggage is like, get over your dead son. But there are some things that it's refreshing in a film where a character doesn't have the great speech or the great line to comfort someone else, but when he offers the same like his assessment, she's you know is a is a good parent, especially single mom, like you know let's not don't make promises to him that you you can't keep like she is she's probably less guarded about her heart, certainly, and that she follows him to Paris she puts herself on the line, but she won't put her child on the line like that. I, I enjoyed how realistic they handled these sweeping sort of romantic gestures from, from, from both characters, this volley back and forth. And even his, the, you know, they don't have the most romantic <laughs> meetings in Paris. Are they eating at a Burger King? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, it's funny that he, his job His job is to write books to make sure people are comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And it's just, it's a perfect metaphor for, like, where he is in life. And the scene that you talked about, where she welcomes him into her home and there's very little dialogue on her part. And, like, here's what you have. That's the best scene in the film. I think like that's that turn where the movie really takes it up to that next step. And then so much so even the next scene is a it's not like the following morning or whatever. It's him bringing pizza to that same house. And you just know that it's not the next day. Now they've been like I love how the filmmaking there. You, there's a certain time jump and we don't need that one month later crawl or anything like we just know that this is good for him and we've known since the be- since the first time we saw Meryl we knew that this is who he needs to be with and when it finally happens it's such a wonderful moment R- really tremendous we've talked quite a bit about this relationship and the little mini love triangle one thing I gotta ask what the <laughs> hell is up with Megan's family did you mm. did you enjoy the non muriel stuff about this film, because it does flesh uh, out a world and gives you a background as to right. like this is yeah. why Macon is the way he is.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's. I guess he seems like the the fucking wild man in that that family that he's. You know, I guess he travels because, while yes, his his business and his his brand, so speak, is to make sure people outside of their homes, uh, or their, their normal work environment will not have the indignity of feeling a uh, displacement anywhere that they will always, they will always bring themselves, uh, to whatever foreign land they are and make sure everything is catered to their own sensibilities of where they come from. Um, the extreme version of it would have to be his family, right? His sister who cannot abandon his brothers, like in this, like I was about to say ultimate caretaker, or I guess <laughs> creepy caretaker uh, <laughs> position so much so that like a uh a vampire family of vampires they actually get, I guess Bill Pullman like into the fold <laughs> like he he has genuine interest in uh Megan's sister as uh his what was he as editor I I'm guessing um his publisher of sorts uh you know his contact person I, I thought it was uh it was a bit of levity but it's also a sick it you know, it's somewhat of a cheat. It's a signal to the audience that you want you, you want making Macon to get out into the world. You're like, Oh not this. Like I, I understand you gotta take your time and uh concoct your, your weird uh sort of uh skateboard and laundry system, which um uh, was not entirely well thought out. <laughs> like <laughs> and causes injury, but um Took me yeah, right that, back I, to the movie Casper. <laughs> As I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure the makers of the mid 90s cast were like, Ooh, accidental tourist reference right here. This will play to the kids. Uh, I did, I did, you know, I enjoyed it, but um, obviously, I'm you know, I can just stare at the poster. I'm here for uh, Bill Hurt and Kathleen Turner, Gina Davis, like, get get back to that. It does provide a bit of awkwardness when, you know, his, uh, wife they separate from is clearly so accepted by his family. Um, it's kind of an interesting role for Kathleen Turner, to be honest, because I always saw her as like this kind of, uh, especially with that voice, this sort of like wild, sort of like sex pot, uh, kind of femme fatale, uh, type, which, uh, was she in body heat with the, uh, yes. Hurt? yes. Yeah. Okay. That's you know, that's where that's coming from. Um, I've always wanted to do um, uh, Peggy Sue Got Married for this podcast. If we could do some sort of like high school
1: ish trilogy, Ever I've seen that one. No, Oh, uh, okay. I'm gonna have. To, all right, all I right, put it on the list. Yeah, this is this. Honestly, this, I, I feel like this podcast has become so much of like my education as well. Like the films that I should have been watching. And I'm glad. Had you seen Accidental Tourist prior to this? Nope. nope okay. It was just
2: one that. Um, been recommended by another podcaster um gosh did he do mumford i feel like I, I, I did a show called 99 from 99 uh just on the films of 1999 and uh i'm that had to be uh where it cut I, I type in mumford and it gives me two actors with that last name who i've never heard of and then you get mumford third on the list yes lawrence kazan wrote and directed i'm pretty sure that's where that came up i was higher on it than my co-host and he was like God damn it If you like this You're gonna fucking love The accidental tourist That's out it assaults me Like You've made a mistake here But there's There's better offerings On the horizon Much like The film itself With Jan Davis you know, you'll, you'll find better
1: You know, when when in the future, when things are better in the world and we finally uh, meet, I, I, I like, my wife and I are short Indian people, and we're going to be looking up to you and your wife, and it's going to be completely frustrating. <laughs> like, we need to be seated at all times, and even then.
2: Webb's going to bring... Absolutes and Marvel Deluxe Editions and set them in the chair <laughs> <laughs> tower over us. I I feel like I have proven myself to you that I'm I'm not completely a heightist and that I was like, hey, 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 Webb, give Kathleen Turner a mere five eight a chance. Yeah, you know, that's but that's that's my limit. <laughs> that is kill number. to be five eight. I would kill to be five ha! <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't actually know how tall you are. So when I'm running these numbers, <laughs> I hope it was I'm like Ugh, five eight. Jesus Christ! <laughs> now I'm no, I'm,
1: I'm between like five seven and five eight. Like on a good day, on a good day, I'll, you know, I'll project more confidence. <laughs> like one of those puffer fish. Like I'll, I'll really get, you know, I'll get big. But
2: I actually got reprimanded by. uh Pyro on uh on Silver Cinema we we did that show together. Uh actually you get reprimanded on an uh, uh an episode. I don't know if it's released yet or not. Um because you've been doing the uh, the voice of letterbox for us. So I, I drop yeah. those clips in when the show goes off the rails. Um and it I actually just sort of edit live as I'm hosting where I'm like, yeah, that's no good. Uh so we're going to move on to web now to cover up this mistake. Uh drop that clip in. But as I did it, he reacted live as far as like, hey, uh, Webb, I think, lives like down the street from me. And before the pandemic, I was like, hey, buddy, I'm moving back within the pandemic. <laughs> and he said, I'm pretty sure that he's either blocked my number or avoiding me because when the vaccines came out, he said, I texted Webb and said, hey man, <laughs> got my vaccine. hope you did too. Maybe we should go see a movie sometime. And he said that there was no response at all. No, I And I'm like, Webb? My Webb? My tall Web. He would never <laughs> <text> <laughs> <me>. <laughs> I that to me.
1: I remember... And here's what happened. I have. I... I love. I love the
2: word on on my network of shows. I'm going to get the straight answer.
1: You just have to listen to all the, all the podcasts. Well, this is how you build a Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is how it's done. You want the answers from this movie? You got to go watch this
2: one. One co-host, like your other co-host, won't answer my text messages. Can you please tell me
1: No. That, this is what happens when you're like a new parent, man. And, and just like – it's like I saw this. I was like, okay. And then, you know, in your in your mind – you know, like when you're on Safari or whatever – not Safari, like the web browser, any web browser. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I got to go read that. And then you bookmark something and you never do. That's kind of what happened. Uh, it literally was so – I know. You're
2: blaming Apple's – admittedly stupid lack of this feature – where you can't do, like, the email thing where you can mark as unread. Like, I'll get back to that. Like, I've seen it, but I know myself, and unless I somehow make that a, a red uh, bubble on the uh, the app, I won't come back to it.
1: Yeah, no, I I know. I And then what happened is I remembered, if this was like a month and a half or something later. I remembered I hated this man. <laughs> no, <was>
2: like, no, <laughs> why no, no, would no, I would entertain
1: the notion of responding to him. I remember, I was like, oh, I need to respond to Hiro. And I was like, scrolling through my text messages, and I saw that because of my, I have set to my messages that they delete after a month. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it. And I was like, oh, I'll text him later. And now it's 2020.
2: <laughs> well, I'm glad we got that cleared up. The only reason it came to mind was, as I started this, he reprimanded me first before you. Because he was listening to another show of mine because he's following the continuity where I mentioned Hiro being short. I'm like, yeah, he's like real short. He's like Dave short. And <laughs> he like, almost wrecked his car with rage. Like he- had to pull over because he was shaking with anger, and it was because he was compared to dave so in this inception anecdote i'm giving you i'm hoping dave also listened to that and got mad about him explaining don't ever compare me to dave